Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. This is Tavis Killian and Scott McNear. Hey, everybody. Bringing you another episode of the Basin Breakdown Podcast. Now, this is an episode for the news of February. Yeah, it's coming out in March, but we go back, we scrape the best news we can find over some of the most popular basins so that you have a good idea of what's going on in the U.S. industry. Kicking things off, we always start here at home where we're based out of Colorado with the DJ Niobrera. First, Colorado ponders storing carbon in defunct oil and gas wells. The state of Colorado is contemplating a method to keep carbon locked away in biochar, a unique kind of charcoal produced by burning organic material at high heat and low oxygen levels. Adding biochar to some of the more than 3 million abandoned oil wells around the country might, if effective, combat climate change and keep millions to billions of tons of carbon dioxide out of the environment. Biochar is produced by a firm in Berthid, Colorado, Biochar Now, by igniting dead trees in kilns. It can hold carbon inert for decades or perhaps millennia thanks to its diamond-like carbon structure, which removes carbon from the Earth's carbon cycle. If approved, it would enable researchers to determine if biochar in wells is a worthwhile investment. So upon a little further research here, Tavis, um, it seems like right now that Biochar Now product is being used for remediation on the surface, uh, either through reclamation efforts or um, I guess it, it adheres to, to salt and would produce water, frack water type of spill scenarios. Um, but I think that they're planning to do a little legislation to possibly use it in the abandonment efforts downhole as well. But moving on, it looks like front range oil and gas emissions are the targets of planned legislation from state Democrats. To better understand and control the oil and gas industry's role in ozone pollution throughout the front range, Colorado lawmakers plan to introduce new legislation. Denver-based state representative Jennifer Bacon, a Democrat, wants to offer a measure in the coming weeks that would make the state calculate the effects of each drilling proposal and only permit projects that won't make the local air pollution issues worse. The latest figures are disputed by oil and gas organizations who claim that their examination of the industry data was incorrect. And I mean, it's it's going to definitely slow down the progress of how fast permits get approved in Colorado, Tavis. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go looking for bad things, you're going to find bad things. That's just one of the trade-offs of using hydrocarbons. So I would hate to see it turn into a regulatory environment, much like California, where resources are stretched too thin to where you have to schedule things so far in advance. So, I mean, not a bad issue by any means, but it really could hamper the efficiency of the COGCC. I mean, yeah, I agree. And we'll we'll keep following this issue as it gets passed down the road in, in Colorado um, Congress. But, uh, you know, the other thing to keep an eye on is the organizations like COGA that are probably asking for that data that's being used to make these claims and, and validate it. Absolutely. And while we're on the topic of the COGCC, we've got one more article. The decisions by K.P. Kaufman to suspend drilling is a critical one for Colorado at this time when the state is reevaluating its relationship with oil and gas. The state is going to be in charge of 1,200 wells as a result of K.P. Kaufman's suspension of certificates of clearance, which makes it difficult to pay for operations and site rehabilitation work. Agency personnel have advised the commission to sanction K.P.K. because it poses a risk to the environment, animals, and the health and safety of the general public. Now this this is a big one because I, I can't think of anything in recent history this large, this many wells, where the state's just stepping in and taking over. 
Yeah, that's a that's a big number of wells in it. You know, with the the news that's come out lately from the Denver Post, I believe, or Denver Business Journal. Um, with the news that's come out lately from the Denver Business Journal and other sources, I mean, it's almost like the the state of Colorado just pulled the rug out and said this is it. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this gets resolved and and KPK doesn't uh, get in too big of a bind from it. But that closes out Colorado. Where are we headed next, Scott? Let's uh, let's move north up to the Powder River Basin. The Powder River Basin Resource Council answers questions on energy bills that are up for debate. There are a number of energy-related bills up for debate in this present legislative section in the state of Wyoming. These bills include a proposed taxation method for solar energy facilities, rare earth mining bills, and most especially, plan for using a sum of money that was earmarked for litigation against the state of Washington about canceled coal export facilities. The company who proposed the export facility ended up going bankrupt, obliviating the need for litigation. This pool of money might soon be brought back into the common pot, and there is a debate about how it should be spent in the future. Um, yeah, I guess it's good that they're letting letting the people in Wyoming know what's going on with these uh, outstanding questions. Uh, it doesn't hurt to be more uh, more. Uh, it doesn't hurt to be more transparent on a government front. Absolutely. And on a larger government front, particularly the federal front, a letter from the Center for Biological Diversity addresses the Biden administration's postponement of oil, gas, and lease sales to be defended by conservation groups. Seventeen environmental preservation groups under the leadership of Earth Justice and the Western Environmental Law Center have signed a letter in defense of President Biden's 2021 move to postpone the sale of several federal oil and gas lease sales. The letter asserts that the industry already has 26 million acres of public mineral estate leased and somewhere around 9,000 federal drilling permits and uses this as evidence of why lease sales ought not to be continued. Well, I mean, if you look at the industry as a whole, I can see how that can be convincing, but I would wager, I don't have the data right here in front of me, that of these permits, the super majors are probably sitting on most of them and small companies who really are trying to get into the federal land game can't do so. Yeah, and I mean, is this... Is this amount of acreage that they're claiming, is that obviously not just Wyoming? It's, you know, Alaska, it's offshore. Um, the state is not going to be happy about that if, if anything like this gets pushed through because they really, you know, take a lot of re revenue or want, want the revenue from those lease sales. And, uh, and as Biden has opened up more and more stuff, you know, in Alaska recently, you know, I think they're going to push back and say that might as well do it in Wyoming too. But let's move south to the Permian here and check out some articles down in Texas. The Permian oil production could surge by 500,000 barrels per day this year. Plains All-American Pipeline believes that the Permian Basin could grow its oil output by 500,000 barrels per day in 2023, assuming roughly steady rig counts. The Permian Basin surpassed 2019 production records recently and seems to be one of the only major oil and gas basins in the United States that has outscored its 2019 production record. Most of Plains Pipeline's long-haul systems, especially Cactus 1 and Cactus 2, are experiencing progressively higher utilization, which is an indication of increased production in the basin. And I mean, it makes sense. They've just been blowing and going so far in the last 18 months or so as, uh, as oil prices have, have kind of bounced back. Not obviously recently in the last <laughs> couple of weeks, yeah. but um, yeah, Plains would be the one to kind of have a bead on the the pulse of the basin because they're the ones buying all the oil mm -hmm. and uh that's great that they could break those 
pre-pandemic records, but with the way things are going now, 2023 might be a peak, and the next couple of years could be a valley, but hey, we'll just have to wait and see. Next, U.S. majors are not immune to Permian growing pains. The rate of production growth in the Permian Basin is set to decline precipitously in 2023, but U.S. majors Chevron and ExxonMobil have recommitted to long-term Permian production targets. Exxon reiterated a goal of producing 1 million barrels of oil equivalent per day from the Permian by the end of 2027, which will necessitate a 13% compound annual production growth rate. Chevron grew Permian production by 16% in 2022. Both of the aggressive production increases that Chevron and Exxon experienced in 2022 were largely driven by deep duck inventories, which are now exhausted, and that's actually a very important point to bring up because it's I haven't checked on the duck count in the past couple of months, but I don't imagine it's going up right now, especially with the cost of materials and labor. Yeah, I haven't looked at that either recently, but I bet bet you're probably right, Tavis. And I know that I want to get out in front of people who are probably thinking to themselves, hang on a second, we just said that it's going to grow by 500,000 barrels per day, (laughs) and now they're turning around and saying that it's going to go down in 2023 precipitously. But, I mean, I think that uh, really where that comes into factor is kind of – Two, twofold. One, um, depending on what source you want to get your forecast from, obviously the, the API doesn't always match the EIA on oil stocks. Just whoever is looking at the uh, decline may only be looking at some of the major uh, operators out there in the Permian versus, uh, you know, Plains is connected to a lot more of the smaller guys and knows their contracts and what they're supposed to be getting as those smaller operators continue to drill through lower oil prices. But for our last article in the Permian here, Tavis, it's kind of a hybrid one. Um, It brings in the Haynesville shale as well. But uh, a recent article shows that a budding oil and gas company drills new wells in the Permian and Haynesville shale. A newcomer to the Texas oil patch, Verde Bio Holdings, has recently passed the 500 operated wells threshold, completing wells in the Haynesville gas play and the Permian Basin. The company has acreage in Crockett County, Texas, and in DeSoto Parish in East Texas which is offset to Aventive and Chesapeake acreage, respectively. And I mean, I mean, good for them to, to be ramping up in this time on both uh, oil and gas assets. Yeah, absolutely. 500 well threshold, that's, that's certainly something to celebrate. So I hope they're around for a little bit longer. But I think that covers everything on the west side of Texas. Now we take it east, which that article transitioned us with, to the Eagleford. First, Japan's Inpex sells U.S. Eagleford shale oil project to Repsol. Japanese Inpex sold its Eagleford asset to the Spanish Repsol firm. Inpex, with holdings in many of the world's major oil and gas provinces, made the move to focus on other areas, especially the LNG market, upon which Japan depends for natural gas. Most of the acreage being conveyed to Repsol is in the oily window of the Eagleford in Carnes County. Now, you've got a little experience down in Texas, Scott. Is it pretty common to see stuff shift between hands, even internationally? I mean, I think we've seen it just kind of all over the U.S. lately with uh, Shell being bought uh, by the German entity. Um, there's been a few moves similar to that, I think, in the Texas area. So I, I don't know that it's necessarily base and specific. I think it, it just happens to be, you know, what uh, what exposure those foreign entities want to get themselves in and how they want to diversify their portfolio on the energy side. Moving into a midstream article in the Eagleford here. Chemical maker Ineos makes U.S. shale bet with $1.4 billion Chesapeake deal. 
Entering the upstream oil and gas industry, chemical maker Ineos has agreed to purchase part of an old Chesapeake asset in South Texas. Ineos, which uses natural gas as an important feedstock in its core chemical business, wants to ink a deal in order to vertically integrate gas supply and act as a cushion against supply disruptions like the present war in Ukraine. The asset includes 172,000 net acres and existing production of 36,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. This will be the last of the old Chesapeake acreage block in South Texas to be sold off as the company once again refocuses on natural gas plays. So, I mean, that's an interesting vertical integration move. It makes sense to uh, essentially hedge your supply chain uh, to make sure that you have access to the the feedstock that you need to make your chemicals. Absolutely. I think it's badass. I just wonder who's going to be operating for themselves or if they're going to choose to operate it on their own. Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't know. I'm sure they're big enough that they could find somebody. Otherwise, they probably have the manpower to do it themselves if they really... Mm -hmm. And last for the Eagleford... Baytex to acquire Eagleford operator Ranger Oil. Baytex has agreed to pay $2.5 billion for Ranger Oil Corporation, a publicly traded oil and gas company with assets in the Eagleford shale. This adds 741 drilling location to Baytex's Eagleford position, extending their drilling inventory by 12 to 15 years at current drilling rates. Ranger Oil Corporation produces about 68,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, and will add 162,000 net acres in the Eagleford oil window to Baytex's inventory. And i got to say, a little sad to see them go. They're always a great resource to call on for news in the Eagleford. They were always very active and continued to push the pace, but looks like they're just ready to get out. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the recent swing in gas prices. Uh, it's making people continue those M&A trends, and uh, that doesn't mean that Baytex won't be equally as, as, uh, as busy down there as Ranger was. But that's uh pretty much wraps it up, Tavis, for the uh, Texas Tired area. Texas, yeah, yeah, let's move up to the to the Oklahoma zone and hit the scoop stack. Foothills Exploration acquires 21 oil and gas wells in Oklahoma. In Comanche County, Oklahoma, Foothills Exploration Incorporated has purchased four leases as well as 21 shallow oil and gas wells. These stripper wells, which typically produce from the granite wash formation, are 1,200 feet deep on average. Cleaning up old well bores, facility upkeep, electrical work, and flow line repair work will be the part of the return to production program, which is anticipated to result in overall production rates of 20 to 25 barrels of oil per day for all wells. The properties will be administered by WHZ Oil and Gas LLC, a firm indirect subsidiary. For possible bolt-on acquisitions, Foothills Exploration is actively assessing a number of other oil-weighted assets in the region. And I mean, that's pretty much... What you have to do if you're looking for that kind of PDP and upside on those stripper well operations, you have to go in and and find what needs to be fixed and spend the money to do it, and then uh, hopefully it works out for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a whole lot cheaper than drilling if you can get the production out, so fingers crossed. Next up, Oklahoma threatens to blacklist financial firms that boycott energy companies. State Treasurer Todd Russ wants to put financial institutions that boycott energy businesses on a blacklist which will prevent them from receiving billions of dollars from state agencies. Several organizations, including market leaders like BlackRock, Vanguard, and J.P. Morgan, have received letters and questionnaires from his office requesting information about their interactions with energy companies. The treasurer's office will give the institution 60 days to react, after which they risk being blacklisted. According to Russ, the replies will show if Oklahoma pension funds, like its public retirement system, are linked to businesses that compete with the energy sector. And this is an idea that they took from uh, 
from a couple other states. I know Wyoming toyed with it, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, Texas actually implemented it. I'm not sure what came out of it or how far it got because, well, a lot of people were pretty upset, but I, I am excited to see what happens here. Yeah, and I think um, it seems like this is just more of the the state officials following what the governor has pretty much requested of them and uh, is speaking on behalf of the, the people that elected them. So, I mean, I think it's uh, not really a surprise that this is happening with uh, Oklahoma in general. It's coming down from the top where the governor's been kind of preaching this for a while now. Moving on uh, into more Oklahoma government affairs, the Commerce Department promotes Oklahoma's high GDP growth. Oklahoma had the third fastest expanding economy in the U.S. during the second and third quarters of 2022 with a gross domestic product growth rate of 5.5%. Only Alaska and Texas outperformed Oklahoma at that time, with Alaska's GDP growing by 8.8% and Texas growing by 8.5% respectively. $1 billion was attributed to the oil and gas industry in Oklahoma, $444.5 million by the transportation and warehousing sector, and a 7.3% growth in the arts, entertainment, and leisure industry, which outperformed all other industries for the state. So, I mean, it's not surprising that uh, one of the states that has very, very pro-energy regulations is getting very high GDP numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Through that time period, second and third quarters 2022, we saw some high oil prices. So, I mean, it's no coincidence that Alaska and Texas were up there as well. But that wraps up the Oklahoma sector. Let's move it on over to California. Starting with a new California oil well ban is put on hold for voters to decide. Now, if you've been following for quite some time, this is the newest on Senate Bill 1137. In order to get a referendum on the November 5th, 2024 general election ballot, opponents on California's new rule prohibiting new oil and gas wells close to houses, schools, and other community areas have amassed more than 623,000 valid voter signatures. The rule prohibits new wells within 3,200 feet, or 975 meters for you European folks out there, of places including schools, houses, daycares, medical facilities, parks, prisons, and publicly accessible businesses. It was signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom last September. A legal company that specializes in ballot issues, Nielsen Merksimer, filed a referendum on behalf of SIPA in order to repeal SB 1137, and that stay happened, so as far as I know, that's the most recent news. It's kind of just waiting until 2024 or until the local government introduces something to supersede that before that time frame. Yeah, and I mean, we've been just following this back and forth. Every single month, there's a new update to this, and hopefully this is the last <laughs> one until they start promoting voting for 2024, the 2024 election. But uh, we'll continue to stay on top of this, and for right now, this is a win for producers in California for sure. On more somber news, uh, Nevada governor declares a state of emergency after a fuel pipeline leak. A fuel pipeline leak was discovered on the night of February 3rd, and a state of emergency was declared by Governor Joseph Lombardo of Nevada. At a pumping station in Long Beach, it was discovered that an above-ground pipeline had leaked 205 gallons of gasoline. In order to analyze the discharge, Kinder Morgan Energy Corporation shut down its 566-mile CalNev pipeline. Late on Friday, February 3rd, a fuel emergency was also proclaimed in Clark County. 
According to the corporate communications manager for Kinder Morgan, only the pipeline that transports unleaded and diesel gasoline to the valley has been impacted. Jet fuel supplies to Harry Reid International Airport have not been impacted. And I mean, this is just reaction to a spill. I mean, it's glad I'm glad that they that they noticed it and they caught it. And, uh, you know, hopefully it didn't cause too much environmental damage of wherever those those leaks were found. Yeah, I mean, this is great. Less than five barrels right on top of it. And I just think it's funny that the tables have turned. Usually it's California who wants more energy from the surrounding states, not the other way around. We bring it back to the legislative arena as a California bill penalizing oil profits makes little progress. Governor Gavin Newsom of California has suggested a tax on excessive oil industry profits, but the legislation is still pending in the Democratic-controlled legislature without any information on the tax's amount or deadline. The law poses a significant danger for Newsom, who was recently re-elected in November and is anticipated to run for president in 2024. The oil business continues to be a strong political force, especially among Democrats who represent regions of the state where the sector generates jobs. In the most recent two-year session, the industry spent approximately $34 million lobbying the legislature. I mean, this is just another form of windfall tax, it would seem, and it makes sense. When oil prices are high, everybody wants a piece of the pie. So this is just kind of par for the course, as, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and I mean, the main thing to really watch out of this is is just to see what happens as we get closer to 2024 election cycle and how this is going to affect Newsom, because there's quite a few energy-related bills um, in his state that uh, could have an impact on how the rest of the nation actually does view him if he does decide to run for president. But uh, let's see. Finally, with California, there's a pipeline debate at the center of California's carbon capture plans. California's ambitious plan to combat climate change depends on removing carbon from the air and burying it deep underground. But environmentalists' hostility to the practice and worries about how to transport the gas safely might impede development. California's carbon capture legislation tries to provide a stronger safety framework than the federal government, but the state is at a disadvantage without clarification on pipeline plans. Although carbon capture has not been demonstrated to be a significant climate solution, proponents contend that it is necessary for oil and gas businesses to develop new revenue streams and job-preserving strategies as California shifts away from fossil fuels. I mean, that's this sounds to me like a lot of the environmentalist uh, attitude of they just don't want fossil fuel. They don't care if uh, they, they, care more, they care more about the fossil fuel companies going out of business than the actual getting rid of fossil fuels. Right, because what's the safety with a carbon capture pipeline? Maybe pressure, otherwise it's inert. And I mean, it was already in the atmosphere anyways. I agree with you. To me, it sounds like, oh, a pipeline, it sounds like oil infrastructure. I don't want it. Yeah, and just the, the, amount, the not in my backyard, the attitude, I suppose, of the the effort that it's going to take to put that infrastructure in place. So we'll just keep an eye on that. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, people are being innovative out there and trying to, to meet the state's requests as far as the way that the energy in that state is uh, allocated. And that is all the news from California. Always interesting, always a pleasure, but we got to keep it moving along. Next, we head to the Marcellus, where speedier pipeline approvals are needed for oil and gas transportation. The recent train derailment in Ohio, near the border with Pennsylvania, has spurred a conversation about the development of pipelines in the area, as it should. Although pipeline building is being stalled, pipelines are still the safest route to carry oil and natural gas because they're low injury and mortality rates. 
Although the price of natural gas in the United States has decreased, it is now $20 per BTU in Europe and Asia, which has raised demand for more pipelines. The main means of transportation for crude oil, petroleum products, and natural gas are pipelines, which are safer than roads and trains in terms of accidents, injuries, and environmental damage. And a lot of people would disagree, but when you look for how many accidents to how many barrels or SCF of transported product, the pipelines are essential. They're great, they're fantastic, and there's not a lot of problems. But uh, East Palestine, Ohio is a, a little bit of a different story because it wasn't exactly straight up hydrocarbons. Yeah, and I think if uh, if the issues with trains continues to happen down the road here, there's going to be more and more people asking questions. Why don't we have more pipelines? And, and that's just something that uh, the government uh, approving these right-of-ways is going to have to take a closer look at. But some fun news uh, from the American Petroleum Institute is that they've released a report that states solving the global energy crisis starts in Pennsylvania. In the API's 2023 State of American Energy Report, they outline a three-pronged strategy for enhancing American energy leadership. That is, producing more domestic energy, removing development restrictions on federal lands and waters, and utilizing the country's abundant natural gas and oil resources. The requirement that infrastructure assessment and approval procedures be shortened in order to more efficiently deliver energy to where it is required is one of this text's most crucial points. This comprises four natural gas development projects in Pennsylvania and the Appalachian area, which may sustain daily output of 4.6 billion cubic feet and lead to private expenditure of around $19 billion. I mean, I know it's probably a long shot that this report ends up being followed to the letter, <laughs> but uh, I mean, good for them for putting out this side of, side of the information for people to, to look at and determine the economic viability of projects like this. Absolutely. And it's still exciting for the Pennsylvania area, but we've got to move it to our last basin of the podcast, the Williston. First, Bakken natural gas price hits the lowest level since 2020 amid a regional supply glut. Keyword regional. On February 16th, natural gas price at TC Energy Corp's northern border pipeline fell to 191 per MCF, which is the lowest the index has posted since 2020. The oil-to-gas commodity price ratio is in the areas of about 40 to 1, which disincentivizes hydrocarbon producers from drastically reducing their routine flaring and to stick to flaring reduction targets. Devin reported seeing an average realized natural gas price in the Williston Basin of 44 cents per MCF, in Q4 of 2022, as opposed to an average price of 5.57 per MCF in the Powder River Basin, and these are some crazy spreads. That's not to say that it's not higher in even other parts of the country. Yeah, and that's pretty crazy that uh, Devin statistic, because you know, if the average was 44 cents, we'd in, be burning in the all. whole quarter. They, there were probably some negative numbers in there at some point to drag it that low. But hopefully, you know, they the natural gas isn't isn't bottlenecked so badly there moving forward, even though prices are still pretty far down um, and that they can, TC Energy can get that stuff out of their pipeline and still maintain the, the flaring regulations in the state. For our next story, there's an oil field pipeline spill that has contaminated Rangeland, a creek near Williston. 5,500 barrels, or 231,000 gallons if you want to multiply by 42, of produced water were spilled about six miles northeast of Williston on February 13th. The cause of the spill is still under investigation, but the produced water appears to have flowed over 100 feet of the Rangeland Creek and into Stockyard Creek. 
The leaked produced water came from a pipeline that experienced a mechanical failure, and the ongoing leak was reported by Grayson Mill Operating. Yeah, that's that's kind of terrible. I mean, produced water, that's not... We're not transporting tens of thousands of barrels, especially through the Williston, I'd imagine, so that's... Uh... It's a shame for whoever gets caught with their pants down and is responsible for this one. Yeah, let's hope they remediate it properly and uh, shore up their operations so it doesn't happen again. And the last story for the Williston Basin and therefore this podcast, the Bakken is looking to recruit workers from out of state, which makes sense. Labor is in tight supply all over. Ron Ness, president of the North Dakota Petroleum Council, indicated that production in the last part of December 2022 was down because of unusually cold weather. He mentions that one in five North Dakotans work directly or indirectly for the oil and gas industry. He indicated that North Dakota is desperate for work and it is willing to accept those from outside of the state or even out of the country and mentioned the need for immigration reform to achieve this end. I mean, it's tough finding labor anywhere in the oil and gas industry right now as far as working on workover rigs and drilling rigs and that type of thing. So I can only imagine in the cold weather and harsh conditions in North Dakota, especially being such a sparsely populated state to begin with, that's got to be tough. I know from personal experience that there's not a ton of Texans that enjoy going up to North Dakota in the winter. So We're South Americans for it, that matter. It, it definitely makes sense that they want to try to recruit some Canadians to come down and help them. Absolutely. But I'm afraid that is all the time we have for this month. If you enjoyed it, please go to www.rarepetro.com where you can find plenty more resources. If it's not our periodicals, podcasts, or video segments, we bring a lot of news to the table from some of our favorite sources. That's how we get a lot of this research done. While you're here, go ahead and frack that follow button on whatever platform you're listening through because you won't want to miss these episodes. Thinking for yourself and learning lots about the industry is sure to put you heads above other people that you are competing with but at the end of the day it's good to just be an informed professional this has been tavis killian and scott mcnear and until we see you next time take care everybody 